Fertilizing, I think, is huge. And I think when times are tough, like again, doubling down on a place you know you can be successful makes an infinite amount of sense to me. So basically, in Q3, we are only focusing on healthcare. And of course, then your CEO goes, well, why are you only gonna focus on one vertical? And I'm like, well, because if we focus on one vertical, we can do everything. We can personalize our onboarding for our trial experience. We can have a personalized nurture. We can have personalized sequences. So basically, coming out of this quarter, we will have everything personalized for healthcare. So if you come in the door as a healthcare prospect, everything you get from us is personalized for healthcare. The B2B Marketing Exchange brings together B2B marketing and sales practitioners from across the country to get the latest tools and tips they need to succeed. Now, we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. I'm Claudia Tarico, And I'm Kelly Lindenau. And this is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hey there, everyone. We are obviously back with another episode of the B2BMX Podcast. So I know we're all in this weird little lull between Thanksgiving and the holidays, and the idea of actually working sounds less than ideal. So we think this next replay we have for you is pretty on brand with the work sentiment right now. It's called The Marketer's Paradox, How to Scale and Do More with Less While Accomplishing More. Yeah, I love those memes, Kelly, where they're like, this sounds like a let's circle back after the holidays kind of moment. And I definitely am feeling that way. But this is a really, really great session. And to help keep you motivated throughout this December slump, we're tapping into the insights that L. Wolf, SVP of Global Marketing at Formstack, shared with attendees at our B2B Sales and Marketing Exchange event. Throughout her session, she approached the rapid marketing transformation mandate while facing the confines of a shrinking team and budget. Through an innovative squad structure and some very focused marketing goals, Elle discussed how to keep the team at Formstack continually driving growth with every KPI. So without further ado, let's roll that tape. Hey, everybody. Thing on, yes. Um, so I'm going to do a little bit of an intro and just kind of explain who I am. So um, I actually from I'm from here in the Boston area. I lived right near here for a long time. Went to Northeastern University. I now live on the North Shore, about 40 miles north. Um, I am a demand gen marketing ops nerd. I've spent better part of my career in demand gen roles, growth roles, um, and I spent a long time in Martech. Uh, first at Eloqua, which is how I know the whole demand gen report team um, at Lattice Engines, and then I led marketing at Path Factory. Um, I have both enterprise and PLG experience. My pa the past uh, whew, five years, I've been working in PLG environments. Prior to that, pretty much enterprise selling. Um, and if I am not, you know, being nerding out, I, you can find me on the tennis court or on a boat or at the beach. That's where I, what everyone has seen me today is like, why are you so tan? And it's like, this is what I do in the summer. I get really tan. Um, so this presentation, I'll be honest with you, <laughs> I'm, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. It's about how to survive layoffs. Um, I have actually been through two very significant rifts uh, in less than 12 months. Um, and it really puts a lot of strain on your team. And you have to be really creative in terms of how you get work done when you suddenly have much fewer resources. So I'm going to start by giving a little bit of a timeline. Um, in December of 2019, I joined Envision um, to build a growth team. They did not have a growth uh, team. It was very much a brand marketing organization. I actually was recruited for that job right here at this event. I had lunch with a, my, my former CMO, and he convinced me to go, go do that. Um, so I joined there, and then shortly after COVID starts, we're in lockdown. How we work has to dramatically change. We have to adapt very quickly. Um, 
in October of the following year, the CMO left, and I actually was promoted to lead all of marketing. And then a little bit later that year, um, Envision, which Envision for a long time was the bell of the ball, growing really fast, doubling in size every year until a little company called Figma showed up um, and started to eat their lunch. Um, and so it, you know, it was tough, and we were trying to basically manufacture growth in an environment where we're really just treading water. So in July of last year, we reduced marketing by 80%. It was a very, very significant reduction, the biggest riff I've ever been through, actually. And I stayed and led the team through that and managed through it. Um, but then in September, I decided to move on. And then shortly thereafter, I joined Formstack, where I am today. And lo and behold, in May of this year, we reduced marketing by 60%. So unfortunately, it's not the situation you want to find yourself in as a head of marketing to go through two major riffs in less than a year. But I will say it's taught me a lot about how to keep people motivated and engaged and how to make sure you can continue to, to get everything done that you need to get done even when you have fewer resources. I think everybody's been facing these headwinds. Like I think coming into this year, everybody knew the economy was wobbly, but I don't think people really knew what the impact on tech would be. What we've seen is it's very hard to get new deals done. Um, we have a, a big customer base, 25,000 existing customers, so we lean very heavily into expansion into the base because we find it's easier to get more money out of existing customers. But it's hard to get deals done right now, even in a business like ours, which is a little bit more transactional, lower price point. I want to take a step back um, because what I, what I experienced when I joined Formstack ended up being really, really helpful when this riff happened. So just to give a sense of what my team looked like when I joined, it was about 34 people. Um, they had been running without a head of marketing for quite a long time, and they had an interim uh, vice president of brand who was leading the team. I'm a demand marketer. I was hired to, to kind of build a revenue marketing function. And the team had skewed very brand and content oriented. Um, and but, you know, as a result, I think we were very light on sort of the demand and growth side. So this is what the team looked like. And you know, like any you know, head of marketing, you always feel like time isn't on your side. I get there in November. We're almost at the end of the year. I need to get a plan together for the start of the year. And I have to like very quickly get my hands around like what is happening here and how do I try to fix it and make it better. So what I ended up doing ended up kind of being the foundation for how we handled things post-ref. The thing that I figured out really, really quickly, and I was really glad it was easy to kind of get the lay of the land at Formstack, it probably, the Envision's business was so complicated that I felt like it took me six months to ramp. I felt like I was pretty ramped up within three weeks. The biggest thing that I figured out was that the teams within marketing were operating as complete independent entities. They were literally not working together at all. And it was like mind boggling. I was like, how does the content team have a different content plan than the demand team? Like these, you, you guys should be operating with one plan, one strategy, one set of goals. Um, so this was sort of the biggest obstacle. And I was like, okay. And you could get, you got this sense that like, if I was over here in this team, I didn't think that was my job over there. And I was like, this is a team sport. Revenue is a team sport. It doesn't matter where you sit in the organization. Again, this was the problem of having each sort of individual part of the business be spinning up their own individual plan. So this felt like my biggest obstacle. So again, like the thing that I always do in any new job is like very quickly try to figure out, do I have some levers? How can we quickly start to kind of manufacture some growth? And very, it was very easy to figure out where some of the opportunities were. This is a PLG business that has built their entire acquisition motion on the back of a trial, and no one owned PLG. No one was looking at the trial, obsessing at the trial, thinking about the life cycle of a trialer, thinking about how to convert more trialers. To me, this felt like the lowest hanging fruit. 
Um, everything was bespoke. Every program they ran was so if they would go to an event like this, they would come back from that event and then they would spin up like an independent lead nurture program just for this event. Every single thing we did had a custom sequence and outreach, a custom nurture, very little programmatic marketing happening. We have 25,000 existing customers and when I got there, I realized they had not been marketing to their customers at all, they like literally had not sent an email to their existing customers outside of product releases. So really no expansion, no account-based marketing to the base. They were still like running all these very sort of top of funnel thought leadership campaigns in a market that's pretty transactional where you have a lot of customers who come in in one product and could easily expand others. The marketing really needed to be way more focused on product features, new products, how do you get people to grow from one thing to another. We were a little light on demand gen expertise, I'll be honest with you, we just didn't have the right skills. And then we had this like aging lead management infrastructure and sort of operational side of the business, like just the whole lead management, um, lead routing side had not been looked at and I don't even know how long, which makes me like anxious. So it was really cool because I found so many opportunities so quickly, I was like, here's all the levers, if we can make these things better, we're, we'll be home free, this will be great. The problem is, even though I can see very clearly, like, okay, this is, how we, this is what we need to do, I've got these teams who aren't working together at all, and like, they don't really understand why they should be working together, and everything I need to do is like, very collaborative and cross-functional. So I'm a big stickler for, like, I can have a great plan in my head, but unless I can really put it into writing and make it clear to other people, it won't matter at all. I tend to think that like a lot of your job as a marketing leader is internal marketing. It is making sure, winning hearts and minds internally, making people feel excited about what you're doing, making sure it's really clear what you're trying to get done. So I take my bunch of levers and my bunch of ideas and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna have five initiatives. We're gonna break it down to five things that we're all trying to do. And then I'm gonna indoctrinate everyone. They're gonna hear me talk about this constantly. So basically five plays. We're gonna innovate our sort of top of funnel PLG motion. We're gonna build an expansion motion. We're going to double down on partner marketing because it was a thing we were doing, but it was not very proactive. Um, we're gonna get really serious about optimizing our funnel, understanding our lead management process, like cleaning that stuff up. And then the other thing was, we're gonna get faster because this was a team that was very used to like, we can take 12 weeks to build a campaign and, and ship it. And I was used to a, a way more rapid iterative process of like, we're shipping a campaign every week. So this was a lot about how do we clean up our internal operations to move a lot faster. Five very, very clear you know, things we're gonna do and that is it. And I use this as a tool to basically explain to everybody why we have to change the way we work. We cannot continue to operate the way that we have because we're not really getting anything done. And the team is like, feel like you know, they're kind of high-fiving, like we're getting so much done, and they were getting a lot done. But it wasn't really mapped to anything. It was just like a lot of stuff happening that wasn't really clearly aligned to any specific goals. In fact, when I got there, like, they couldn't tell me, I was like, oh, how much pipeline is marketing usually responsible for? How much do you drive? How much, like, they had no idea. So, I mean, this was some pretty, like, back to basics. So this is in February, and actually in February 2003, we had a full company kickoff in Mexico, and this was what I presented to the entire organization as like, hi, I'm your new head of marketing. This is my big plan. Here's what we're gonna do. Try to be really clear about what we're trying to accomplish. And so what I decided to do was something that we did at Envision that was really successful. And it's really designed to break down the silos. And it is basically assembling the entire team into a series of squads. And squads are borrowed from agile product development methodology. It's basically how do you take resources from across your team, give them a very specific metric they're trying to move, something they're, very, they're all responsible for, and create accountability for that thing. It is 100% outcome oriented. You work in two week sprints. 
Um, every squad has its own Slack channel. It might have its own mascot. Um, it has its own weekly update. And it's a way to take these resources. And th the thing that I heard from everybody at first was like, well, if I'm on a squad, how am I going to do all my other work? And I was like, the work on your squad is your work. That's the work. And it is a bit ruthless, because kind of what you're trying to do is weed out the stuff that you shouldn't actually be doing. You make the squad work the only work, the first work. And that is your first team. So this is a structure. I mean, we had sort of corporate OKRs. I boiled them down into my five key priorities. I built a couple of squads. And then for each squad, each squad has their own OKR, which realistically now maps back to the corporate OKR. Very simple, very easy stuff. Um, and I won't go through it all, but so this was the initial squad structure. Um, the first were sort of just operational, like house cleaning things, right? We're going to, I had noticed, I did a bunch of analysis when I first got there. Every single key metric in this business was going like this. So, um, you know, traffic growth over the past year and a half was steadily declining and organic, tra organic traffic was going way down. Um, trialers, over time, if you look at trialers, they're just stair-stepping down. And so like, I look at these metrics and I'm like, these are the things we got to improve if we're going to ever have a chance at manufacturing any growth. So all of the squads were really aligned to what I saw as sort of the key metrics in decline and how to fix them. So qualified traffic was one. We're going to build a traffic squad. You guys are going to own traffic. So it's people from um, the digital team. It's people from demand gen. It's people from the content team. And basically, their goal was increase organic traffic by 20% year over year. That's what you're going to do. And this is how much we're trying to drive in terms of organic traffic's impact on pipeline. And so basically what happens is you assemble the squad, you give them a very specific goal, you um, have a kickoff, which is really painful and awkward at first, and everyone's like, what are we doing, and why are you making us work like this, and this feels icky, everyone hates it. Um, and then after we stumble through it, you basically, usually in that first squad kickoff, we do a brainstorm. We, I'm a devoted, I, sh I shouldn't say, I'm now I'm a devoted Figma user. I came from Envision, and now I love Figma's whiteboards, so we use Figma whiteboards. And basically, like, we will set a timer, and we open a whiteboard, and we basically say, this is the goal that we have. Everybody gets five minutes to throw all their ideas on the board. Everybody's pulling up stickies, and, and you come up with a million ideas for all the things we could do to increase traffic. And then we put them on a quadrant, what's, what's easy to do and would have a big impact, and we plot them out. And that's how we start to build a list of experiments and hypotheses that we're going to begin to test. And then basically, every week, you're coming back to your squad with an update. We're carving out the first five or 10 projects. We are assigning responsibility. I'm making it sound way more simple than it is. But this is the basic structure of it, right? And so these were the ones. Like, I mean, each one of these was tied to what I felt was a metric in decline. Um, you know, overall, our website conversion from um, visitor to lead was abysmal and also declining. How are we going to fix that? How are we going to get that better? Um, how are we going to see uh, better, just, you know, if you looked at every different sort of channel and lead type, conversion rates were declining for sure. So I was like, okay, let's just increase all of funnel conversion by 10%. Can we try to do that? Um, so again, it's really what you're trying to do is take like a million things that you are trying to get done as a business and break them down into projects, right? It's basic like project management um, and just using a little bit more of an organized structural element to how you manage the work. And I have found this has been like a huge part of how we have managed to sort of succeed in a post-riff environment. So, um, and I'll, I'll explain that part in a minute. So these are kind of the operational ones. And then, um, like this is funny, right? Because I have three uh, squads that are focused on 
demand gen. I mean, it was like, this is basically like build new pipeline, build expansion pipeline, build partner pipeline. Okay, so normally the way you would do that is like your demand gen team would like me and you would like, you know, spin up some ideas and run some campaigns. But I found breaking it down like this and saying, cool, yeah, you're a demand gen person, you're on all three of these squads, but this squad only cares about new. So we're only gonna focus on new stuff here and we're only gonna have experiments focused on new. In this way, like, again, you keep it really pure, you keep it really focused, and you don't have like a demand gen team meeting where you're like a mile wide and an inch deep. Each squad goes really deep in their one key area, and the thing they're trying to accomplish is very, very clear. So this was sort of the structural element. So I roll all this out. Oops, I just pushed what looked like a palm tree. Nope, I don't know what, or a, or a firework. I don't know what that is. <laughs> expecting it to blow up. Um, I roll all of this out at our big company-wide kickoff in February, and then I am like, oh my God, I am, look at what a great job I did. I'm amazing. In such a short amount of time, I got all these people who didn't understand why they should work together. I got them in really organized groups. I set very specific goals. We like have a whole bunch of ideation happening. People are excited. There's all kinds of experiments happening. We're hypothesizing and doing cool stuff. I am putting points on the board. I am a genius. And like, and, if, and I will say like, and I'm sure any marketing leader can, can relate to this. Like when you get into a new role, you feel this intense pressure of like, I must succeed fast. Because especially marketing, which I think is this thing that everybody has an opinion on and is so visible, like you just feel like everyone is scrutinizing your work all the time, waiting for you to do something great. And so I always feel this pressure at the beginning of any role. Um, and I was really focused on like, Let's show them quickly how we're going to do it differently now. What are you, what are you going to do that's different than the last head of marketing, right? And I will say I've, I'm often hired um, as a revenue marketer replacing a brand marketer. That has been true the past several uh, jobs that I have had where there was a very brand focus and now they want to skew it to revenue focus. And honestly, I think that adds more pressure because they expect this like miracle of like pipeline's going to fall from the sky and it's like all of a sudden marketing is going to be like the, right? So you feel this pressure. So I was really proud of the work that I had done to get us to this point. I will say from November to like when I got my budget in January and got all of this kicked off, I mean, it was the most intense start of a job. Again, I think having started at the, toward the end of the year and knowing like I was about to head into a new year and needed a plan and needed a budget, needed all this to be worked out, I felt my back was up against the wall. So great. And then um, it was prior to May, but the riff happened in May. Um, and now again, I've just gone through a very large riff at Envision last July. Has not a full year has passed. And so this is the first PE environment I've ever worked in. I've all, spent most of my career in pretty early VC-backed companies. And VC is very different. I think like in a VC environment, you will be allowed to tread water and kind of fail slowly for a while. And um, there are some, you know, isn't often a lot of intervention when things aren't going well. Yes, at some point you might have to reduce staff or have a budget cut, but PE is very different. Um, in a PE environment, there is a standard playbook for how these you know, PE firms are going to get a return on their investment, and they will not let you sink this investment. And so as soon as your growth starts to slow, you, be got, you, you know, are managed to rule of 40. And so you know, very quickly as we started to see growth was slowing and we're facing more headwinds, we are now in the situation where we're going to have to do a pretty significant riff. So that was not that long ago. That was May of this year. And 
I'll just say this. I'm sitting here talking about a riff like it's like an, an abstract object. I'm not cavalier about this at all. These are individuals and people whose livelihoods are attached to these roles, and I take no pleasure in, in having to do this work. It makes me sad that I have become an expert in this. But I will say, if you work in tech, and particularly if you're a marketer, at some point you will have to go through this. And so just having some tools and, and ways of thinking about how do you get to the other side of it, I find is really helpful. Um, it's so critical that you can see the other side, that you can kind of envision what life is going to be like in this new business. Because after you do such a significant reduction, you are effectively running a very different business. We went from a very focused growth play to one that was much more about efficiency and cost reduction. And those are two different types of marketing. There are two different types of businesses. So it's really important that you try to put yourself in your future job, in your future company, and really think about what do I need because at the end of the day, like the expectations didn't change. I still had a bookings plan and a pipeline target and a bunch of trial metrics I had to hit. Like all of those metrics, yes, we did reforecast, but like I still had to wake up every day and do the same job. I just had to do it with less people. So you have to really think about well, what people do I need? What skills do I need? How will I organize those skills and resources? Oops, palm tree. Nope. There we go. Okay. So anyway, yes, this was, I remember my husband being like, you're kidding, like this is, how is, why does this keep happening to you? And I'm like, I don't know. I, but it's like, it's tech right now, right? It's tough. I, I, we, this was not unique at the time. Everywhere you looked, somebody was doing a massive layoff. We were not special. I just found myself in this unenviable position of having done it twice in two year, in one year at two different companies. So. I have to redesign my team and I have to do it for agility. I have to really be smart about how I structure the team. So as you remember, I was, I can't remember, 32, 34 people. I'm down to 15 now. This is my current team today. And I made some interesting um, decisions. One thing was I don't have marketing ops on my team. So I created a campaign ops team. It's three people. One of them is, I'm going to show you some of her work because it's incredible. Um, one is sort of like a project manager, keep the trains running on time kind of person. One is a designer, and one handles marketing automation. Um, I basically took my, I had an incredible product marketing team for the first time in my whole career. It was like the best product marketing team I had ever had. I had five product marketers, they were amazing. And I had a couple of demand marketers, a few of them who I really just didn't have the right skills. And so I kept one demand marketer, a, a, like a product marketer and one kind of hybrid and I collapsed demand gen and product marketing. And this would not be the right move in every business. But when you are, so we're a multi-product company, people enter through our forms product, we have an e-signature product, we have a documents product. Mostly what we're trying to do on the expansion side is take an entry forms person and get them to buy other stuff. It's a very product-centric demand strategy. You're not doing like, hey, build your, I mean, this, this is what I think, the, this is what's one of the mistakes I think they had been making. This very top of funnel thought leadership around digital transformation and at the end of the day, we're selling to people who are trying to solve specific problems. Like, I'm selling to a person who needs to collect data and turn it into a contract and get it signed, which is it's not really digital transformation play. It's like a, a bit more transactional. So our demand strategy by nature needs to be very product oriented, like kind of tactical. It's like, hey, you buy this product. Did you know you have, we have this product over here? Did you know you could do this thing if you had this feature, right? So collapsing um, product and demand, while it seems weird, was actually the exact right thing to do. And then basically I had this kind of like digital team that I turned into a growth team. So they focus on um, you know, all of our acquisition, all of our trialer acquisition, our PLG motion, the life cycle of a trialer, all of that stuff. And then I have three BDRs now down from five. So this is the team. 
And what's crazy is that you go, so when you have a bigger team, you start doing a lot of things because you have a bigger team. You start, you, you create work to, for the people to do instead of doing the work that you need to do. And so all of a sudden, when you have less people, out of necessity, you get really ruthless about what things are getting done. And everyone on my team, and again, I, I don't mean this in any way to be cavalier, but they instantly were like, wow, stuff just got so much easier. It's so much faster. We can get stuff done more quickly. It's not the full employment act where we gotta have 12 people on every meeting and you gotta check in with everybody and make sure, blah, blah, blah. There's like none of that. It's like, this is what we're here to do. Put your head down and get it done and you just go. So that part has been really nice. I will say the squad structure and the sort of working frameworks that we adopted at the beginning of the year are the thing that made it easy for us to adapt to this new world. So we get to this post-RIF environment. Obviously, it's very destabilizing, and you just have to, like, as a leader, that your job is to just make people feel comfortable and try to make them realize that they're, we're going to get to the other side of it and it's going to be okay. And I really find that to be um, an incredibly important skill to have, um, and I, I take it very seriously because, number one, you're sitting here and you, half your friends just got laid off, you have survivor guilt, you feel like there's a lot of emotion to this and you have to really give people space to process and, and get, you know, get past it. But at the end of the day, like when we, when we show up and we have to continue down this path, I need them to be excited, I need them to be engaged, I need them to like be here for the, for the go forward plan, right? So in the path forward and as we think about sort of where we go next, you know, we had some sort of ground rules. Number one is we would commit to the most important outcomes. Revenue outcomes are the most important outcomes. Like, that's it, right? So, you know, and it's not to say if it's not revenue-oriented, it's not on the list, but that's mostly true. So things like our, we had a, a podcast. The, the team had spent a lot of time building an audience for a podcast, investing in a podcast. Podcasts are no small amount of work, right? There's pre-production, post-production, promotion, getting guests, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot. And it, when I got to FormSec, I was like, why do you guys have a podcast? And you know, it was like, well, it's good feeder content, it's good awareness, it's, and, I, and it is all of those things. But like in the environment that I'm in right now, where every day we gotta slug it out and try to hit our pipeline goal, I ju it's just not a thing I can prioritize. So really focusing on the most important outcomes, doubling down on the places we win. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's so easy to be a mile wide and an inch deep, but I take a look at our business and I'm like, we do great in healthcare, we do great in EDU, we do great in FinServe. And right now we're not verticalized at all. Well, what if on the marketing side we try to verticalize in those key areas? Let's double down where we can, where we can win, where we can know we can be successful. Anything with a blurry line, anything with a tenuous path to revenue, anything that like, oh, that's cool, but what, like, oh, we want to do this little event and it's a breakfast thing and it's a... If the line is blurry in terms of the impact it's going to have, I just unfortunately can't prioritize it. And then really leaning into like standardizing things, repackaging things, collapsing things, um, trying to get as much yield from the stuff that we're doing. And then for me, the thing that's helped the most is obsess, just obsess over how to organize how people work together. It like literally is that. Like, how do you create an assembly line? How do you make it so that people can have multiple priorities, but it's really clear how to action all of them? How do we prioritize the work just within marketing? So I obsess about how we organize the work, and that has been a really helpful tool. So these are our new squads. We just rolled these out recently. They're so same but different to the ones that we had before. So again, these are aligned to very specific outcomes and projects that we have. Each one of the squads, you can see, they all have a, a name. So each one of these has like, 
you know, they meet every week, they have a, a Slack channel, I'll show you some of the updates and things that get posted there. And each one of them kicks off the same way. We start, we talk about our charter, we talk about our goals, what are we trying to accomplish, and then we start by coming up with a thousand ideas that we think could be the things to move the needle in that area. And then it's just rinse and repeat. We come back every week, we test a hypothesis. It is very much a process of experimentation and testing new things. Things don't work, we chuck them out. Things that do work, we try to scale them and make them repeatable. So again, it's like, it's not, it's not a, some groundbreaking idea. It's just a way of approaching the work in a little bit of a different way. Okay. So just a couple of examples in terms of standardizing. So I mentioned this before. And I like, again, I've, like, I grew up in Eloqua. Like I was an Eloqua power user. I like built like millions of lead nurture campaigns. Like I'm, I, love a, I love a good nurture. So Formstack was doing some interesting stuff where it's like, again, we lean heavily on um, outreach for our sequences. So we build sequences for every different type of campaign. But like literally, if we, if we sponsored this event and we came back from this event, there would be a custom sequence in outreach that was like, hey, it was so nice to meet you at B2B SMX. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, we had a th like, you couldn't manage these things. You couldn't optimize them because there was too many of them. You couldn't, you were like, what the hell is going on here, right? So I was like, nope. We're going to have one sequence for every major type of campaign. So here's a sequence that we can use for any event we go to, for any webinar. And they're a little more general, not quite as personalized, but you, now I'm dealing with like 20 sequences. I can see exactly which ones are working. I can optimize them. They're easy to manage. So that was one of the things. And then same with these, um, like we built this universal nurture program. So this campaign works for, basically it's catching people if they came from any number of different lead sources that's like not a trial, not a hand raise, and you get entered into that. We have all of our programs set up so that certain ones take priority. If you start a trial and you're in trial onboarding, that's priority number one. You go through that. You get through that and you're done. Now you go in here. But what we're not doing is for every single campaign type building a new nurture. We tried to standardize that as much as possible. We also just did a major overhaul of our MQL scoring, which was one of the squad priorities to try to find more demand in the demand that we are creating. So, and then, you know, as an example of how the squads work, so they ship this. This was done in one of our two-week sprints. We ship it. And so they have next steps. They're like, We're, we want to do customized versions now for these different verticals. So that now gets added to the roster of squad projects, and they'll chip that off. They'll handle it in one sprint. You get it done. You ship it. You move on to the next one. We had, coming into the RIF, we had, I think, four newsletters. We had a partner newsletter, a customer newsletter, like a general quarterly newsletter. And there was another one, too. And I don't, oh, it was like an innovation newsletter. And I was like, that's five too many newsletters. Um, and so, like, we could do one of these things, but we can't do all of them. And very quickly, I was like, we could do one that served every single purpose. So now we do basically a quarterly release. It's focused on product innovation. We show you all of our cool, snazzy features and all of our new stuff. We have some fun demo videos, and we try to add a little sizzle. And then we have, like, a little section in it that's, like, for our partners. And we have a little thing in it where we feature, like, some cool new content. So we basically took all of these things, collapsed them into one, made it multi-purpose, and dramatically increase the distribution of it. So basically, you have one instead of five. It goes to everybody. Verticalizing, I think, is huge. And I think when times are tough, like again, doubling down on a place you know you can be successful makes an infinite amount of sense to me. So basically, in Q3, we are only focusing on healthcare. And of course, then your CEO goes, well, why are you only going to focus on one vertical? And I'm like, well, because if we focus on one vertical, we can do everything. We can personalize our onboarding for our trial experience. We can have a personalized nurture. We can have personalized sequences. We can... So basically, coming out of this quarter, we will have everything personalized for healthcare. So if you come in the door as a healthcare prospect, everything you get from us is personalized for healthcare. Next quarter, we'll do it for EDU. 
I found that was a better strategy than like, let's do one for this and one for that, and never really getting anywhere. Um, so we're, again, we look at it in terms of the entire life cycle, like how do we knock off every single thing that that type of buyer will need, focusing on where we see the best revenue performance in terms of how we prioritize the vertical. Yay, everybody wins. We haven't yet gotten to a place where we've, like I personally am like, hey, why don't we verticalize our sales team? Why don't we have, like I think we could take this a step further if I'm being honest. Um, but again, me pushing this on the go-to-market side starts to show some success and some impact so that hopefully I can sell that idea. Like, hey, maybe we should carve out a verticalized selling team. Um, just innovate every process you have. I mean, like, I take a look at every single thing and I'm like, oh, is, like, can we knock the stupid out of how we do this? Like, can we make it easier? Can we make it make more sense? So we got rid of our entire content team. I don't have a single content marketer. I don't have a single social, social media person on my team. So we meet and do a brainstorm once a month. We come up with like a theme. We come up with like a million ideas. Like what's 10 social posts we can write? What's two blog posts? What's um, and we put them all down there. This is the Figma board where there's millions of ideas. And then basically we, every person including myself gets assigned one thing to write. We each write our thing. I write my LinkedIn post and I like write my blog post. And then we have this um, channel review crew where basically we post it there and everyone on the review crew does a quick review. That's our sort of editorial pool. So basically we're like democratizing crowdsourcing content creation is basically what we're doing. It's pretty manageable. Everybody plays a role. It's worked really well. Just to give you an example, like this is the kind of example. So every single Monday morning, um, this project manager who's on my campaign ops team posts this update. So we all come in on marketing and to the marketing channel. We see exactly what's going on. We see exactly where everything stands. The Monday boards are linked. Um, it helps to just keep us really, really organized. So this is something we do every single week as a full team. It's just like, hey, recap, reminder, here's what we're working on this week. Again, very sprint and agile oriented, very much like this is the work for this week. We're not talking about things that aren't happening this week. And similarly, like this is, so this is a squad board, our squad channel, this is the demand squad. And basically, again, after we meet as a team, there's an update in terms of what we talked about, what we prioritized, what we said we're going to do. And the key is, like, we async the hell out of this stuff. Like, if we can avoid meeting and we can async it, everybody knows their job is to keep it moving forward, keep it moving forward, because by the time we meet again, we have to have made progress. So we try to be, like, really agile and really asynchronous. I know that I can often be the bottleneck because everyone's like waiting for me to approve something. So I take this very seriously. I'm bringing rad back. So when bringing rad back, it's tagged. Like I'm in there right away. I'm looking at it. I'm giving an answer. So asyncing is your friend when you have less resources. And the biggest thing is like, look, if you have to cut half your team, you have to find a way to continue to make it fun for the people who work there because nobody wants to survive a layoff. No one wants to be laid off, but no one wants to survive a layoff either. It's like the worst. It, it, neither, so neither scenario is great for anyone. And so I'm really, really committed in like, how do I keep it fun for the team? Like we, you know, break off and we play Steam games together and, you know, we're not together often, but like we try to add a lot of levity. And I think you have to do that as a leader if you're in a, in a it's, it, everybody's getting beat up out there. It's been really tough. So our teams are getting grind, grinded to the ground all the time. We have to find ways to like make it fun and make it light for them. So I hope this is helpful. This is what has worked for us. I do find this, this method of working, the structural elements have been really, really helpful. And I think if you asked anyone on my team, they'd say that they really get a lot of enjoyment out of their work now and they feel really engaged and really committed. And um, it's been a, a fun process as much as any, <laughs> anything like this can be fun. That's it, the end.
It is such a treat having Elle at our events. She's just so captivating and continually receives high marks and praise from our audience. And I personally love working with her. She's been a really solid resource for us at DGR for years now. And she was actually one of the first people I ever met when I started working at DGR. So big shout out to Elle. I also really love how she acknowledged all the pressures marketers are really facing. And she provided those tactical firsthand accounts of how to keep growing with less resources and support. Definitely. And not a lot of people know this, but Claudia and I are both teams of one. So it's always so nice to hear how others are successfully making the most of these small teams. Oh my God. Yeah, I could definitely feel that in my soul. But hey, we're out here killing it. In fact, if you'd like to see our small but mighty teams in action, make sure to join us at the B2B Marketing Exchange event in Scottsdale this February. I'm so excited to get back out there. And I've been working really hard to bring you a star-studded, FOMO-inducing agenda. And because you're a valued listener of the podcast, we're offering you an exclusive discount on your pass. So make sure to check out our show notes for more information. All right. So that is a wrap on today's episode. To stay in the loop for future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our pod on your podcast player of choice. And if you're interested in killing a little more time today, make sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and Twitter to share what else you'd like to hear about. Thank you all so much for joining us today, and I hope you all take care.